Good morning, Great Connections listeners. I'm joined today by JT from Franklin's Charging. JT has an awesome charging business that I kind of came across originally on Kyle Connor's Out of Spec YouTube page. And thankfully, I was able to reach out to him and JT decided to join us today for today's episode. So uh, JT, uh, thank you for joining us. And can you just give us a real quick intro about uh, how this all started and what you're doing right now? Absolutely. Hey, Chase. Um, we started... I started, I should say, uh, looking at uh, DC fast charging infrastructure and charging infrastructure in general around 2010, 2011, when I became aware of what Tesla was doing and coming to market and and thinking, you know, if these guys are crazy enough to actually pull it off, then there's going to be a great need for, you know, the Navin, uh, Navin R. Johnsons of the next generation. And and I'd, I'd fancy myself as a jerk-like figure. So, I was like, okay, let's let's look into it. So that's when we really started kind of looking at how do you make this work? And of course, on the front end, there's a lot of naivetes when your background is like biology and chemistry. You don't, and you know, I was just then starting to get into uh, night school. I was a school teacher uh, teaching biology and uh, physical science, and uh, started really trying to get into okay, how do you make something like that work? And so in the meantime, I thought, well, I need to be more financially literate. So. I uh, put myself through uh, an MBA at night school while I was teaching and focused on uh, Tesla uh, and then focused my business modeling on um, how do you charge these things and actually make any kind of money off of it. I think that's a great overview. And what you hit on there at the end is probably one of the biggest questions a lot of people have about the space. And I think it's great to hear that. Uh, obviously, it's taken some uh, hard knocks, but definitely went in with a plan. And what you're being able to do and kind of now uh, scaling up is already generating quite a bit of revenue and obviously a lot of interest. So uh, I think just with all of that, can you talk about, um, I think, really what kind of made you when you're doing all this research what made you decide that charging uh was what was needed and, and more charging locations and i think specifically the way you approach it is really interesting because it's more in like the traditional uh i would say maybe even high tier but like traditional gas station experience where there's there's things there and i i know that's selling it short because you have a lot more than that just at your location so i i would love to kind of hear how you got to that, and then some of these supplementary businesses that you've uh, built on the actual uh, locations as well to really make it a awesome place for EV chargers and even people just in the area to stop by and check out. Uh, yeah, Chase, I mean, that's, uh, you start looking at cash flows and you can put all the numbers you want to together before you start. And again, I was, I was very naive to what a demand charge is. Uh, or, you know, what I'm actually paying on a commercial setup for kilowatt hours. So I did did as much background research as I could, but was still fairly green coming into this whole thing. And so it was basically like once once we were able to raise the capital to actually do the build out of our first station here in Little Rock, um, I'd already acquired uh, that land uh, and then subsequently acquired the shop next door to that. My lady is a potter, and so if, you, if you've seen the, the Kyle Connor video, then you know that we have a, an artist co-op next door now. Well, we put that commercial project together first, and I gave them a sweetheart deal on a lease. Well, it, that's the cash flow, right? So you start putting these cash flows together. Everything goes into a pot because uh, you know on the front end that it's going to be very difficult to try and drive enough traffic uh, to your location to be able to make the cash flows work. 
for just the charging end of it. I knew that before I ever even got started. And so originally we had planned our Little Rock location to be a restaurant. When I was seeking financing, uh, I, I'd spent a lot of time in my younger years in the, in the restaurant industry. And so thought, okay, well, you know, you put booze and food together. And if you're lucky enough to be able to make your margins on the food, then the booze should follow and you make pretty good margins on that. So that would maybe um, support our charging habit. And so once we were actually able to raise the capital, the plan changed and it was like, okay, let's not do that. Let's do more of a kind of an autonomous all hours lobby with, you know, the vending machine and that kind of thing. So you talk about ancillary um, cash flows. We made sure that we had uh, air station slash vacuum on site in Little Rock, which is actually a little beast as far as money making. Uh, we have the uh, the vending machine. We just now opened our coffee bar three days, uh, three mornings a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday in Little Rock. Uh, and have really tried to kind of get, you know, all of our methods behind us on that. I was never a barista, but, you know, I was a bartender. So that's, it, it's, it's fair, you know, fairly similar kind of uh, job, uh, job description there. But uh, anyhow, so kind of just putting all those together and then it was like, okay, well, we need a, another big cash flower. And, and so the Little Rock location, uh, again, with my biology background, chemistry background, I thought I found this this company had been watching them for a long time, uh, freight farms. And so I thought, you know, it would be super cool to be a farmer at the same time that we are uh, farming electricity and selling that. And so uh, and, we and, bought- and not to cut you off, I, I think for anyone listening who might not be familiar with freight farms, because uh, it is an amazing company. It's one I've been following for quite a while, too. And I, I think what makes it so fascinating is it's essentially these large drop ship containers that have small uh, farms ready to go that you can start growing quite a few different crops. And I, I, can you maybe explain a little bit more about that and how you got involved with them? Uh, sure. Like I said, that's uh, with, the, with the background that I already had. And then on the front end of my teaching career, I uh, used a, a small grant to buy a little hydroponic setup for my kids. And we we messed with that for years. And I never could really get that going when I found freight farms and started watching what they were doing. And then finally, we, we decided we were going to go ahead and do the development here. Um, and we're lucky enough to do that. I thought, OK, instead of the restaurant, let's be farmers because that's fun. Everybody loves it anyway. And potentially that would be a good cash flow machine. So, uh, you know, we just we just went for it. And at, at, at that point, we found out that there was probably for us anyway, there was like a really steep learning curve for like a year to try and really get our operations down. Uh, we were lucky enough that one of our initial partners that we or two of our initial partners that we partnered with stuck with us uh, through our hiccups on the front end and are still customers today, which is fantastic. Uh, distributing to restaurants, which is a little bit easier than trying to do a retail type of situation. Uh, and then, of course, make sure that we are under, um, oh, it's a boutique, uh, boutique law or whatever for farming uh, to how you can sell that without having to involve yourself too much in uh, Department of Health and all that. Still, still following best practices, but without having to have all the certificates and everything that goes along with that. Um, so we're freight farms is pretty good about being in the realm of having the crops that you grow in that, in that, uh, vein. So it makes it easier for the farmer to be able to get their products to market. Uh, but right now, I mean, uh, currently we have, uh, we're ramping up our capacity for basil again. That's really our cash crop. And so currently we're doing about 50 pounds a month of basil and we're about to get close to doubling that. 
we are um, doing sage. Uh, we're doing um, oh good goodness dill, uh, and then we have uh, romaine as well. And so romaine was really what I wanted to focus on. Come to find out, uh, your head lettuces are not real good cash flowers, not great money makers, not a lot of margin there. But that was me thinking, okay, you know, as far as logistically and the amount of water that we use uh, to try to offset anything we can coming out of the valleys out west that are desperate for water and having to cut back anyway. Um, that was kind of part of that mission. It's all about sustainability, right? And so we're looking at the future and thinking, how to, how, to, how are we able to do this all in the future and feed everybody uh, and get them the electricity? And so we have, you know, the solar setup that helps supplement our electricity, uh, some stationary storage on site, which we hope to upgrade in the future. And and just put, putting all that together. But as far as uh, going back to the freight farm, I know I'm getting off topic, but uh, the freight farm, you know, again, it took us about a year to really get all that rolling. And we're still building to where we're going to have more produce and, and and especially like microgreens. We want to do those, but we've got to get the rest of this online before we can use our seed table to really do microgreens all the time. Uh, so that's, that's kind of, um, I, I just happenstance uh, ran across freight farms and love to set up. I uh, was just doing research about hydroponic um, grows and came across them, did some more research, talked to the company, and that's the, the route we went there. And, and I'm glad we have. No, and, and that's just great to hear because it is such a fascinating company. And I, I guess to clarify, how many, is it just one shipping container and what's roughly the size or how many of them do you have at each location? So we do, we only have one freight farm. It's at our Little Rock location. It's a 40 foot shipping container. The company boasts that annually, annual output is equivalent to about two and a half acres, which wow. on an annual basis, yes, I can see at any one point in time. No, we don't have that much produce in there, but on an annual basis, yes, we can, uh, we can put out that much produce and we're or working toward making that a reality, but there's always, you know, always challenges to, uh, keeping an aseptic environment to uh, making sure that everything is not getting any kind of infection. I mean, we've had on the right. front end, we got a we we got a um, an algae bloom or a, um, a, a, a equivalent to a bacterial infection kind of thing. And so it was like, okay, well, we had to rip everything out and start over. Um, and so oh, lesson lesson learned, money spent, and let's go, uh, let's move forward. So. Uh, uh, I, I, maybe I got off topic again, Chase. Um, but that's, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, it, it's all very fascinating, uh, and I, I think it's really, I, I think what's really great just how you approach looking at kind of the cumulative cash flow for scaling up a business that a lot of companies are having trouble to just do one of, uh, and you're doing, you've, you're right uh, right now scaling up the second one, and you're in Arkansas, which I think a lot of people would be kind of surprised just given it being maybe one of the uh, states with less EV adoption, but to see everything that you're doing kind of not only future planning, but also uh, finding these other kind of new technologies to supplement the business is such a uh, very fascinating thing that I think our listeners will be pretty uh, just excited to see more about and to anyone that is listening that's going through Arkansas, please check out uh, Franklin's Charging and Little Rock. And also in Hot Springs, because I think both of these are just going to be phenomenal uh, additions to what makes kind of an EV road trip so much fun. But um, I think uh, to go a little bit back, can you can you show uh, share kind of maybe 
how you've uh, you mentioned kind of some of the things you've put at the location and building these different cash flows. But as far as the charging side of it, can you share what was kind of how you came to um, the current amount of chargers you have on site and anything that you're seeing is kind of where the right pricing and market is for that and how maybe you even plan to expand from there? Sure. Uh, so our Little Rock side is a little under a half acre altogether. And so when we started putting it together um, and putting the plan together, uh, speaking with my architect and the engineers and uh, and then looking at what was going to be the future of what is the standard. And we kind of already had in our heads that 150 kilowatts per pedestal and four pedestals. Now, we didn't start there. Um, but uh, so we knew that with a larger location, a larger for us location, that we wanted at least four pedestals. Um, so that's what we went ahead and, and and built out in Little Rock. And then uh, when we got to Hot Springs and I found this old filling station in Hot Springs, uh, there were only two old pumps and the old portico was there where the pumps were. And so when we did all the underground and the site work, et cetera, we just went ahead and duplicated that. And then of course ran uh, some more pipe under the, um, under the concrete to add one on site later, if we, if we would like to, that's not under the portico, uh, but kind of look, at a boutique type of setup you know i mean it's at it not right again right now we're, we're running cpe 250s at two in little rock two in hot springs and then we've got a free wire boost 200 uh here in little rock as well um and so we're still a pedestal less than we could be with capacity there we've got uh tesla destinations at both which i just leave on some people take advantage of them not many uh most people want to want to try to support the small business end of it um, but every once in a while, somebody will come plug into the Tesla destination. Um, but, uh, then we have NEMA 1450s at both sites that could double as both an EV plug and then a, um, um, oh goodness, uh, food truck plug, uh, which is kind of oh, wow. what we're, we're looking at doing there as well. Um, and so that's, uh, just kind of trying to future proof underneath as well. We put in the CPU 250s with charge point really like their hardware, but we went ahead and made site ready for the Express Plus uh, units as well. So we wouldn't have to rip out any concrete late, late, later. And we have plenty of tubes that are plenty big for whatever kind of setup we want to put underground in Little Rock and in Hot Springs. Um, so well, I think for uh, people who are listening who don't know the difference, can you, uh, can you share kind of what the Express Plus would unlock for your locations? Sure. So CPE 250 units, uh, as far as fast charging goes, you'll see them all over Colorado. I think the state of Maine has been really proactive about putting them in Georgia, et cetera. The uh, charge point's a very popular brand there. The CPE 250's output, max output per unit is 62 and a half kilowatts. They pair, the, you can pair the units, which we do. Uh, so a total output of 125 kilowatts out of each one which is limited on many vehicles by the, I believe it's 200 amp cable uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's associated with the units. Um, but um, the Express Plus is, it touts a modular setup where uh, the units that are internal right now that look like big AirPods, um, uh, AirPod cases um, that are the actual drivers for the DC or whatever, um, their, their Express Plus, that is actually like a cabinet uh, and you can scale that to where you would start potentially with like 150 kilowatts a unit, and you can scale up to, I believe, 800 total kilowatts uh, over uh, maybe maybe two units, maybe four. I don't know. I, I spoke with a charge point 
uh, guy earlier this morning, actually uh, one of their SVPs. And, and so we're looking at the different types of setups there, but he's going to send me more of that literature tonight so I can get a little bit more read up on that before we would potentially ask for Nevi monies. But essentially what it does is it just allows us to in place with the underground that we already have to go from an outfit that's doing, you know, uh, right now, what, 200, three, 325, uh, 325 kilowatts of DC um, to up to, I mean, we, we could do a lot, but I mean, what we would look at uh, for the next step up would probably be more on the, um, more on the order of a megawatt. Oh, wow. Big step up. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why we we got in bed with Freewire uh, is they already come uh, equipped. Their units already come equipped with um, stationary storage in the units. So they really only eat about 37 kilowatts off the grid per unit for a 200 potential output out the front. Right, which is kind of a really interesting technology. I'm not sure a lot of our listeners are aware of. Essentially, what it does is it has a battery inside the charger itself so that the for a couple of reasons. One, not only does it make it a lot easier for sites that might not have a uh, large potential to have a continuous power, but more importantly, it helps kind of negate some of the charges, especially demand charges and other things that pop up when you are doing EV charging. Um, I, I think that's something probably a lot of our listeners don't realize on the back end, a lot of those costs and some of those things that come up. Are you, Can you share, uh, I think maybe in two parts, it'd be interesting to hear um, as you've kind of built this out, any things that have caught you off guard or surprised you, and then uh, maybe kind of do an overview of some of the charges that as a site provider that you have to deal with and try to kind of almost manipulate and figure out how you can get the best return for your investment in the infrastructure, avoid the costs, and then also not have to raise the prices to the end consumer. Well, I think it's probably best to preface that with We've had some hiccups with our free wire unit, and I've been looking to raise our prices. Uh, right now, we're only 30 cents per kilowatt hour on our charge point units in Little Rock. We're 32 in Hot Springs, and we're 32 with the free wire unit, but we're about to go 35 across the board, um, which will help us get to our uh, cash flow goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the front end, unless you're, I wasn't an electrician, I'm not an electrical engineer. Uh, so it was uh, a definitely a humbling experience to to find out just exactly how much uh, you pay for not just demand charges. I mean that that Intergy and and uh, who is our local provider here at both of our locations in Arkansas. Uh, there are other co-ops in Arkansas at different spots, but that's who we're working with uh, for our two um, installations. Uh, they, you know, I, I don't know that they know exactly how to charge for DC fast charging yet. I've, I've heard talk that they want to give a little bit of a break on demand charges for the first five years of an installation kind of thing. Have not seen that come to fruition. You end up with a pretty good hit on demand charges. Then your kilowatt hours on a commercial setup are, I mean, you pay almost nothing. It's like two cents. Uh, and it flips season to season, you pay almost nothing. And so anything that we would potentially put back on the grid with our solar, which we have 30, 30 kilowatt uh, solar umbrella in Little Rock and about 15 in, in Hot Springs. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's it, it, it's, it's very negligible how much of that we're able to offset with the actual DC, because if you're going to back up a DC uh, uh, unit, then you have to have a pretty substantial battery uh, to do that. 
And we're just working with Powerwall 1s and Little Rock and Powerwall 2s in Hot Springs right, right now, uh, three for each uh, setup. And so really, we're just backing up the farm and the sitting area uh, slash bathrooms slash coffee bar in Little Rock. And I'm running, obviously, running those a little bit, running those batteries a little bit uh, at nighttime uh, to try and offset some demand. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I mean that's uh, that that was a big surprise to me uh, that not only were those two costs associated with this commercial installation, but then this just mystery energy charge, which I'm supposing is a, a delivery charge, but I have yet to uh, I've looked all over the PSC uh, Public Service Commission's uh, website with this literature to try and match my billing uh, schedule with a schedule on there. And I can't find an exact match, but I've got one that looks like the same kind of deal, but I'm still trying to suss out what is this mystery energy charge? I mean, I'm paying more for that monthly than I am for a demand charge right now. And so, you know, all in all, the, at the end of the month, you end up looking at this huge bill and it's like, well, that just ate most of my profits for the month. So uh, where do we where do we go from there? Because then you have to pay for obviously if you have any kind of finance. We have one piece of financing in Little Rock on our on our free wire unit. And then we lease the charge point units. So that's a big, you know, that's a big yearly cost anyhow. Um, so trying to suss out, okay, how many kilowatt hours at what rate do I need to be selling on a daily basis to break even there? And right. so what we've come up with is 35 cents kilowatt hour, and we really need to be doing a thousand kilowatt hours a day. Per day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, in the in the in the grand scheme, so right now in my numbers, I'm just and and I may be a little off. I have my dashboards I look at and all that kind of good stuff for uh, all of our units. But uh, you know, you think about well, what does that entail? What I'm saying about an average of 35 kilowatt hours per charge, because you'll have a Nissan Leaf that does 12 right. kilowatt hours in an hour, and then you'll have a, a you know a, a um. And I, I won't say Rivion's with the with the free wires because they're limited currently to 80 kilowatts. But uh, you'll have an F-150 come and sit on that free wire station and pull 125 kilowatts and do it for 100 kilowatt hours. Um, you know, so that that's those kind of charges. If you do 10 of those a day, then you've got your numbers. Yeah. Um, and that's between both, both uh, sites, obviously. But that's that's our our first milestone goal that we're working for. Uh, working toward to get uh, cash flow neutral, which we hope to be by the end of 24 with all of our operations. Now that is, that's real estate cash flows and all the ancillary cash flows included going into one big pot to try and make the whole thing work. No, I mean, I, I think that's awesome. If, if anyone, uh, I, I can't recommend watching the Kyle Connor out of spec video about the site location. I mean, it's a beautiful site. It's very well done. It doesn't by mean, no means does it look like it's a cheap build. So to hear that you're able to kind of scale that and get to that point by even at 2024, I think it's an amazing return for those kinds of investments. When um, talking about the different chargers, I, I didn't realize that you, uh, it was common to lease the charge point chargers. Are you kind of able to share some of the different um, models as far as what you are seeing kind of compared to like leasing the uh, free wire system or the charge point as of now, is there a model that you're kind of seeing makes the most sense for the amount of traffic you're getting or just financially uh, with your business model? 
Well, so uh, again, ChargePoint really wanted to push the CPE to 50s when we started uh, with this whole uh, exercise here. Um, and that was 20, 2017, 2018 is really when we were hitting the engineering hard on that end of it and talking to ChargePoint about what we were doing. So that at that time, you know, 62 and a half kilowatts, 125 paired, it was like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, and, and my apologies. Uh, and again, I, I'm sorry the, not to catch you off real quick. When when did the sites officially open for uh, people to come and charge? So official opening Little Rock, April 22, uh, Hot Springs for charging and lobby officially February 23. Okay, great, great. And I'm I'm sorry, continue. I, that that's really interesting though to hear um, how long it kind of takes to do the planning, getting everything together, and then to open then. But yeah, uh, please tell me more about kind of the charge point and uh, looking at the different models that were kind of available to you at the time. Sure. Well, I, I, before I say that, I will say that there there was definitely a quiet period that we did not pursue uh, this development in between 2018 and then 2020. Um, and that that was all that was all about trying to uh, secure financing. Um, and so we, you know, I kind of, kind of tabled it for a while and then we just got lucky enough to where we were able to actually uh, have the cash flows to do it, the equity to do it. So, uh, that being said, the charge point units, again, we've got the CP 250s right now and we're working our way up to the express plus. Um, but the next step for us would probably be the two eighties, which I believe with our financing, uh, with them, which is a lease. Uh, so with our lease, and then it's kind of a turnkey deal because they do their own software, they do their own hardware. And so the the package that I have with these guys uh, covers all repairs uh, that aren't you know that, I mean in any kind of reasonable repairs uh, it covers all the the software and all that for a yearly flat rate and then in speaking with uh, the uh, SVP uh, this morning and uh, in, in our area over at ChargePoint. Uh, apparently we are able to, um, upgrade with a Nax plug for free. Oh, wow. Um, and we're also able to upgrade to the 280 units for free, uh, which would give us a capacity of not 125 paired, but 160 kilowatts paired. And so if that, if that is the case, he's supposed to submit some literature this evening. And, uh, that's what we would look at as next immediate step here is to go ahead and upgrade to the 280s. And now I have spoken with them and I don't I don't think it's proprietary information, but I've spoken with them about a buyout type of situation, you know. I mean cuz you're at 5 year lease, they're going to they're going to write that off their books. They they've got right. the capital lease on the, on that end of it. So they're going to write that off their books and in, in depreciation in 5 years and still get the cash flows from it. So, you know, how much is it worth to you to have them uh sent back to California for refurbishment and potential resale? versus me just keeping them and putting them down the road somewhere. Because um, that, that was kind of the plan from the beginning is, is at the end of the lease, can we just do kind of like any other car lease or whatever? Can we do a little bit of a, a balloon payment or whatever it might be for residual value at that point, uh, pick them up and take them down the road as we upgrade the site? And yes, uh, is the short answer to that. That is an option. Uh, but in in lieu of that, we may be looking at going ahead and trying to uh, upgrade to the 280 units uh, from the 250s here sooner than later. Interesting. So with um, these kind of lease agreements, does that usually mean as the site host, you kind of have to figure out all of the electrical, all of it uh, essentially up to the pedestal, and then you would um, lease 
those pedestals from ChargePoint, or is there a bit more that's kind of going on that they take care of when it comes to actually bringing these online? Well, with our first two de- with our first two developments, that is exactly the case. Is that gotcha. we we took it right to right to the pedestal, and then uh, we had the lease agreement for the units with them. Interesting. Okay. And with, um, I'm, I'm just generally curious, I don't know if this is something they sell or not, but in your uh, kind of decision to go with leasing with them, whether you could buy them out or not at the end, do you think that there is actually kind of an element of uh, the leasing brings down the total cost of the installation because traditionally that's a pretty expensive point, uh, but more importantly, it might even give you some future proofing, like in this example, where they'll come out and upgrade those uh, charge points for you. Yes, I think I think that that was my my initial thoughts with the leasing was that hey you know sixty two and a half kilowatts one hundred twenty five paired ain't gonna cut it in five years, um, so let's do a lease instead of purchasing these units. Fair. And uh, then as I started as we started operating and I started looking at okay so if we're actually able to get into the black uh, which was you know that's the exercise for everybody with a small business from the beginning uh, then how do we scale? And so, you know, we're not going to be a Bucky's. So we would scale in a more rural area where you have people that are driving to whatever kind of, I mean, whether it's national, we have Buffalo National River up in North Arkansas. It's a gorgeous area. There's nothing up there, nothing. Um, So, I mean, if you had even a 50 kilowatt unit sitting there, that sucker would get used. I mean, you have all kinds of people that have these adventure vehicles. I mean, go out and buy a Rivian R1T and then get up to, uh, you know, the wilderness area in North Arkansas and how the heck do you charge? Um, right. So that was, that was kind of the thought from the beginning is, okay, let's lease them. Uh, and then we'll upgrade uh, when the time comes. And then as we've gotten more into it, it's like, okay, I'm interested in, is there a buyout option that would make financial sense to buy these, stick them up the road and operate them for another five to seven years. Um, before the units would actually be out of, you know, out of warranty, out of an extended warranty kind of thing. Um, and so that's uh, that's something that we're still working out. Uh, but th- like I said, this morning's conversation that I had um, with the rep there, um, uh, great, great conversation, super cool dude, and potential to upgrade our site without having to pay extra because of what we're doing with our lease package already. But it's like, oh, bonus. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I am kind of curious with what you've uh, already installed and some of these kind of <laughs> first iteration of upgrades, where do you see these sites maybe longer term? Like, are you expecting them to have maybe like eight pedestals or do you expect the total of pedals, uh, total pedestals maybe to stay the same, but just increase the rate? So the way we design Lutterock, uh, we have our, our, pedestal sitting in between two parking slots right so you could if there are two heads that you can charge off of then each person gets a slot that's already there and it's already ready made for that um so potentially you could have four units with eight charging heads right gotcha. um so if, if you look at like uh, and again i'll i'll go back to uh brandon flash kyle connor those kind of guys that are very active on the zitter um that uh Brandon has just gone to, from what I understand, and I don't know the guy personally, seems like a cool guy, but he's just gone to, I believe, Altatronic. Um, correct, correct. And yeah, so we just had him on a, a couple episodes ago. But yeah, he just uh, started so that, Altatronic. That's 
Yeah, so that that's a European outfit, but this 400 unit that they're testing out East Coast, I mean, that's pretty killer, man. I mean, you got a pretty pretty tight little package there with two uh, plugs uh, that that has the 400 capability. Um, you know, then then the equation becomes okay. How much stationary storage do I need on site? How much solar can I reasonably add to my site to actually offset some of the uh, the demand and then the energy charges that we would incur? Um, but that's that was kind of the that's kind of the rationale in Little Rock. Uh, again, in Hot Springs, we knew from the beginning as starting this thing that that's going to be a boutique. Mm-hmm. You know, a Tesla will eventually find there's horse races down there and a big casino. Uh, Teslas of the world are going to find that place eventually. They're going to build out there eventually. So what is our what is our grab? Well, we're on the very edge of right downtown. It's a big uh, attraction, uh, and we're uh, we're a boutique. I mean, we're we're going to have the two pedestals potentially three in the future, and that's what we're looking at. Yeah. So that's uh, you know it, again you start looking at okay, well, what kind of hardware do you have for that? And like I said, we um, we we went ahead and planned for the at least the Express Plus Underground, so we wouldn't have to be pulling up a bunch of uh, concrete and trying to trade that out later. I, I'm kind of curious, uh, just when you talk about like Tesla or the other uh, charging uh, companies that are kind of the space. Given that that is just one part of your cash flow, have you? I'm I'm sure you have, but oh, did I lose you? <laughs> I'm just curious, oh, like, um, uh, I was just curious how maybe you were looking at, can you hear me? Oh yeah. I, I can still hear you. Oh, good God. I, I can hear you. I'm not... You still there JT? Yes. I, yes. I'm sorry about that. I, I had a, there was some kind of snafu with the phone there. No, no, no worries. Um, I, I can hear you fine though, but, uh, I, I guess my question was in this process, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening that just find this really fascinating. At, were there at any point that you were kind of looking at maybe, you know, I'm going to do the freight farms, I'm going to do the coffee shop, and maybe I'll just lease out the some of this to Tesla or Electrify America or some other company like that. Was that something that ever kind of crossed your mind or was it just you wanted to go all in and kind of have the vertical integration of the location yourself? uh either or can you hear me now i'm sorry yeah 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 um yeah i mean you know the the thoughts always there that okay uh you're in the business of doing this and trying to build yourself and the company around the charging i mean that's that's my that's my goal is to become at least a a a, a small regional player and uh in the charging business and then the ancillary um conveniences that go along with like a c-store or whatever else that our incantation right. may be of that we go uh, absolutely but then owning the site uh you also have in the back of your head okay you know worst comes to worst we don't have to be the operator we have the the infrastructure already built uh so the you know the the rivions of the world with their brand network or whatever else Sure. I mean that you could you could say okay, well the, let let's explore getting in bed with one of those guys and having them just do the operations and we'll just uh, you know go climb a mountain or something. Um, but yes, that 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 thought was there from the beginning of of our exercise here. Gotcha. And kind of looking at the space right now, what um, I guess I'm curious, what are you most excited about? Is it 
kind of getting these up and then building three, four more locations? Or is it kind of leaning into the community that's already kind of come up with the current two you have and just trying to double down on what kind of cash flows you can build at those locations? Uh, both of those. I mean, number <laughs> number one is let's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty vested in this neighborhood that I'm in anyway. And I kind of grew up in this area in Little Rock. Uh, and then I grew up, uh, you know, going to Hot Springs when I was young as well. Uh, and it's a real kitschy little town too. So it's, you know, freaks, geeks, and weirdos everywhere um, in, in both of these areas. And both of them are, are being um, kind of having a second look, a little bit of a renaissance as well. And so um, I, I don't like to use that term that everybody uses for, um, oh, I think it's gentrification. Yeah, we're not we're not trying to use that term, but uh, but all the same, uh, yes, being an active uh, being an active member of the community that's that's moving in that direction and building our businesses with that locally, and then with the thought of okay, in the future, how do we scale? Where do we scale? And how do we do it with staying out of the shadows of the big players that are obviously going to eat uh, a lot of little guys' lunch and, and hand at it. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. And that's great to hear. I think anyone that is a current EV driver in your area, if they don't know of you already, I mean, it's 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 such a cool looking um, setup that you have these two locations. And uh, I know next time on a road trip, I'm in the air, I'm definitely going to even just take a detour to come check out in person because we just need to see more of these, uh, I, honestly, around the world, but especially just across the US. And I think the location you've chosen is such a great addition for uh, drawing people in. Um, with the goals of scaling and trying to make uh, Franklin's charging into a larger player and have more locations, what in your experience has kind of been the biggest challenges? I, I think you've hit on a little bit, but what have been the biggest challenges for um, making DC public fast charging more common? Well, I mean, uh, num number one, as it is with many businesses, but especially with uh, something at its scale is, uh, I mean, it's cash, man. Cash is king. So how do you how do you come up with the capital that's necessary to do that? Um, and so that's that's really the big the big part of any any calculation to start any business. But it's like, okay, so how do you set something up? How do you get the cash flows there in the, in the front end? How much runway do you have with your working capital? And then how do you make that all work? And then include the okay. Now we jump to the next step, uh, and then when do you bring in outside investors, et cetera, et cetera? So that's I, I don't I don't know of a more blunt way to put that. Uh, that this is uh, you know it's a blessing and a curse to have such a uh, a high barrier of entry with it being such a capital intensive kind of endeavor, uh, and and so you don't have met, uh, just a whole bunch of others that are just trying to jump headfirst in. Uh, but then on the other hand, it's like, okay, but that costs a lot of money. Right. So how do you do that? Okay. So the biggest issue is money. <laughs> and then once oh, yeah. you have the money, what do you find is the biggest hurdle to put that money to work? Oh, good Lord. Uh, <laughs> I think I went through two electricians that I was like, oh, these guys are going to be awesome. It's going to work. And then they were smaller outfits that, uh, it didn't work, man. Uh, so I, I, and my, you know, my contractor, I used a smaller contractor when I started this thing because I wanted to use my subs and I wanted to learn how to build these things out from the beginning. So it's like, I would have that, that knowledge implicit that nobody else is going to impart 
to you. I've done some building in the past, but nothing on a commercial scale, uh, you know, and nothing like this. And so I definitely wanted to be able to try and learn how to turnkey uh, a site myself uh, with, with, you know, subs that I knew and people that I knew to be able to do that. Uh, not that I want to open a construction company, but wanted to know that end of it uh, for books and everything else. But um, that was that was painful. And in some aspects, I ended up with a larger uh, electric outfit um, that was able to come in and really help me uh, go from a, a really kind of nasty stopping spot in hot springs to getting that turnkey. Interesting. Sorry to hear that, but I'm glad it's up and running now. Um, hey, if there's lesson, lesson learned. <laughs> um, I guess uh, you, you've already hit maybe mentioned a couple of these things, but for anyone listening that they think, oh, maybe I want to do something in my uh, town or regionally or work with others to kind of make this more common. Are there any uh, recommendations or tips to think about when kind of starting something like this up? Uh, it may be cliche and it may be true for whatever business, but do your research, put your numbers together. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the DCF. So like discounted cash flow, which you're going to have to have some cash flows laid out anyway for, uh, financing. If you go talk to a bank, uh, but know those numbers, know them inside out, do as much research as you can to see what your costs that you might not be including are going to be, uh, you know, make sure you try to, to, uh, cross all your T's and dot all your I's and then double that number. <laughs> that, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, given everyone I've talked to that usually works for the other, even just traditional gas stations trying to make this change, they're realizing that there's a lot more cost that they weren't expecting with it. But I, yeah. I think that adds just to how impressive it is to see what you've done and kind of how fast your team's grown with it. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier, I mean, obviously, uh, this industry has kind of run to issues around supply chain and the overall cost. And you, and you mentioned earlier kind of NEVI funding. Is that something that as you've kind of been researching, is that something you're cautiously optimistic about? Or is it just um, in your experience, any sort of kind of outside thing that might be a government funding? Has it just been moving too slow to be of benefit so far for you as you're trying to grow your business? Uh, Chase, to be honest with you, I'm glad it's getting rolled out slowly. Um, okay. I, now, now that we're already up and running here, uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, the state of Arkansas had the VW settlement monies. And so that was for, mm. uh, when the, on the DC side of it, that was for, and still is, uh, for 150 kilowatt, uh, plus units and two of those that they would set aside that, that funding yearly for, I think, five year period on that one too. I uh, could be wrong about that. But anyway, I applied for the first year of that one. And um, I wrote my own uh, quote unquote grant um, and put my numbers in there. And I was already starting to operate the charge point units in Little Rock. And so had some had some legit experience there and, and then came to find out really quickly that between Entergy, our local provider, uh, Francis Energy, who is, you know, born out of some, uh, I think, oil and gas in Oklahoma that's putting them up everywhere as far as D.C. goes, uh, and um, Shell, uh, that those guys probably had not just better grant writers than me, but probably had uh, some uh, some lobby pulling as well, uh, abilities to uh, grease enough palms to be able to be 
a little more competitive than a little guy like me. Um, now, on the back end of that, now I've gotten great feedback from the state uh, and their programs. They've been very um, communicative with me about what's out there. Uh, the NEVI funding uh, on the front end, uh, when we got this thing done in Little Rock, uh, Arkansas Department of Transportation uh, did a story about charging and they came out and did a lot of pictures at our place and interviewed me and, and put that into their, uh, their issue for that year or that season. Uh, I think they do it by, um, by yearly, but, um, but anyway, so they, they printed the, their um, mailer or whatever with uh, their magazine with our, um, with our station on it. And then in the article as well, you know, pictures of our station. Uh, in addition to that, they went ahead and earmarked us for an upgrade with Nevi monies in, oh, wow. uh, in Little Rock. And so that's not to say we're a shoe in for anything like that. But uh, we're, you know, right now it's all about cash flows, right? I don't want to throw another, you know, big chunk of money at this thing and then have these other stations that I need to put down the road somewhere before uh, we are able to actually make these cash flows work. Right, And so it's like, let's get all systems going. Let's figure out where we are with our numbers. So yes, is the short answer to that. We are very interested in the Nevi monies, especially for our Little Rock location because it's eligible. Um, and it's already been earmarked apparently by our Department of Transportation. Uh, so we think we'll be very competitive there when we're ready for it. And we're looking at probably if, if, if our cash flows are, are increasing and growing like we're looking at right now, uh, into 24 going into 2025, we would look at, at really doing the deep dive as, and get in the weeds, uh, which we're already going to do a charge point after my discussion this morning. He's going to send me a bunch of literature about uh, their NEVI funding packages. Um, but we're, we're looking at at least trying to do that in Little Rock for sure. That's great. And when you say Little Rock is eligible, what makes that uh, location, I guess, better or eligible for NEVI funds versus the Hot Springs location? The corridor, uh, the, oh, the earmarked gotcha. corridors where the, yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, that is all very exciting and uh, I'm sure <laughs> just adds kind of adds more, I was going to say fuel to the fire, but maybe that's the wrong analogy for this, but definitely just really mm -hmm. seems to take the momentum you've already got going and really make sure, uh, I, I mean, it sounds like you have such a solid kind of business plan and having just the additional uh, revenue sources really are kind of making you uh, be able to scale this to uh, a very sustainable and lucrative even uh, size. When you look forward, you, you've kind of mentioned some of these site locations with the solar addition. It helps, but it's not really a huge thing. Have you explored or kind of looked at doing larger solar installations in the future with more battery backup or is that just it just doesn't really pencil out uh you know it, it depends on how you pay for it again if you get if gotcha. you get a grant for nevi monies and you've already Fair. put into that grant uh you know 100 kilowatts of solar umbrella or 200 kilowatts of solar umbrella and you're gonna have uh, up to a megawatt of charging for future installations that are going to cater to semis uh, and or larger vehicles. And you're doing that on the side of a highway and you've got, you know, a, a Tesla mega pack there with 1.9 megawatts worth of uh, stationary storage where you can mitigate how much of the grid you're using anyhow uh, and then add to, you know, at certain times. Yeah. Uh, 
then that start that does start to pencil out possibly, but I have not done that financial exercise yet because I'm looking at what's right in front of me and right, thinking, right. okay, next 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 five years, we 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 want to go into the black and we want to scale the units that we already have into different locations, and hopefully, the, you know, the next five years at least have you know four or five locations uh, that that were that were actually in the black making money on. That's great. I mean, with kind of this talk of scaling, what have you seen um, been traditionally, I guess, or have there been any big hurdles uh, financially that you're seeing starting to change with the increase uh, and maybe changes in um, the supply chain or just scaling up of technology? Like, are you seeing a uh, decrease in the price of pedestals and kind of charging infrastructure, or is it still kind of remaining about the same because of the demand? I mean, I, to be completely honest with you, I've not done a lot of shopping lately uh, gotcha. for, for, for new pedestal or for new uh, machines. Uh, but uh, the shopping that I have done, uh, yes, it looks like that the, the costs are getting more reasonable uh, as the years go by, which is, any any new technology, right? I mean, the original sure. uh, LCD TVs or whatever were five grand, and uh, you can buy a flat screen that's perfectly fantastic and has more features than that now for six hundred bucks. Right, right. Um, with the current kind of infrastructure you have with these two locations, and they're being competitors, but obviously you guys having a much higher tier experience when someone goes to charge. Are you seeing kind of any trends with who is coming to charge at your location or is it still pretty early days and uh, it's kind of the only option that a lot of people see as being somewhere they want to stop when they're on kind of a road trip or is it kind of maybe more of a local crowd or a mix of both that are coming to your charging uh, locations? So from what I'm seeing so far with, uh, let's, let's start with Little Rock, Little Rock, um, uh, holidays. So holiday travels, uh, you see more people coming across country um, or you see more people coming to visit family that are in town uh, and then finding us and being able to charge quickly while they're, while they're around kind of thing. Um, and then other times, uh, you know, just normal, normal weeks or whatever, like this, today I've had, oh goodness, uh, in, in Little Rock, we've charged what, 10 or 11 cars so far today. Um, and oh, wow. almost, almost all of those are local, local folks. Oh, that's great. Um, so, and then the weekends it'll pick back up with folks traveling. Uh, and so hot springs is, again, it's pretty slow still in hot springs, but what we're seeing is the, you know, the draw of that being a little resort town, um, and then having gambling and horse races, um, now that the racing season has started again, I've seen some out-of-towners. Um, and then I have a couple of locals that are around. And then there's really nothing in that area. So people that are in more rural areas, as they pass through, uh, they're stopping there as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. I, I'm also just curious, I'd imagine, I mean, that's how I came across you. Have you seen a uh, kind of bump in interest or people visiting since the uh, original video you did with Cal Connor? Yeah, I've had several that have come across. Nice. I mean, I, I had a, I had a family come out of, um, oh my God, those people were brave, uh, coming out of Atlanta in a uh, bolt, oh, wow. and going cross country in it. Jesus, um, and they had the whole, the whole family packed in that thing, and had seen the video, and their six year old wanted to take a picture with me. I mean, it 
was internet time. <laughs> I, guess. I was like, oh my god, okay. Um, so yeah, I've seen I've seen that several times now, uh, which is kind of cool. That's I mean that's that's great to hear, and I hope some of our listeners are able to give you a boost as well. But congratulations, that that's awesome to hear. Uh, I, I think we've covered a lot of really great topics and kind of the questions I had for someone in your position who's being very entrepreneurial and kind of pushing the edge of uh, really making not only charging locations that are reliable, but actually places where people want to stop. But there is one kind of final question that I ask a lot of our guests. And the question is, uh, in your experience, what are some innovative ways that uh, either the private uh, industry or government can maybe help accelerate, uh, accelerate the rollout of EVs and charging infrastructure? Uh, aside from what this infrastructure package that, that got passed and is getting implemented with the NEVI monies, um, uh, aside from something like that, where it's basically subsidizing uh, owner operators to put in new uh, infrastructure, um, I would say that definitely the regulated monopolies uh, that are our um, energy providers that are also trying to scale that that they try to form more partnerships with people that are in this business or want to be in this business, uh, even the Teslas of the world that are the big guys to put in the stationary storage and the renewables, which, whatever may be most suitable, wherever that location is, um, to and, and give breaks possibly take off a demand charge or whatever, or, or levelize that for a number of years before, um, before everything just goes full tilt. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm curious, you mentioned the utilities with these locations. Have you also had kind of issues around transmission and getting the power that you really want or need at those locations? I mean, in, in Little Rock, we are literally across the street in between the, the freeway and the street uh, to a substation. Um, and so, uh, no, nothing nothing in Little Rock. I had to bring three-phase power over to the site um, mm. from across the street. But uh, same thing same thing in Hot Springs. Uh, three-phase power, uh, we don't have the, uh, the substation there, but three-phase power was already available across the street. We just had to bring it across and set a transformer. Oh, great. Well, that's, that's about as good as it gets if you only have to bring it across the street. But um, JT, I just want to say thank you again for this. It has been really interesting and super informative. And I know our listeners are definitely fascinated by people like yourself who are really building and kind of pushing the infrastructure and making it much more accessible for a lot of people and making a much more enjoyable experience for everyone. So uh, JT, thank you again and look forward to having you on again soon. Chase, I appreciate the exposure. Appreciate your time. Thank you. 